Hello, this is John Kamiski with a few notes before we begin this episode of Superhumana Vitae. First, Brendan and I recorded this episode through a new medium, which should allow a little more precision editing on the whole, as well as cleaner audio. You may notice, however, that there is some static in this particular episode, and we ask for your patience as we learn how to make this podcast the best that it can be going forward. Second, A part of our discussion briefly touches upon the subject of science versus theology. I wanted to make sure that we clearly articulate that, while there are some who believe that science and theology, faith and reason, are antithetical, the Church has long held these to be complementary. Finally, Brendan and I are asking for prayers in this episode. You can hear Brendan's prayer request for his father near the conclusion of this episode, and I would also be grateful for your prayers for my mother, who is also battling a form of cancer. Out of respect for her privacy, I didn't include this prayer request in the initial recording, as I wanted to contact her first to confirm that she would be comfortable with such a public request. After talking with her and receiving her approval, though, I am now including my prayer request here. Thank you so much for joining us for this conclusion of our reading of Kingdom Come. We're looking forward to exploring many more stories, and we'll be announcing some of those upcoming stories at the end of the episode. Well, without further ado... Let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Super Humane Vitae. My name is John Kaminsky. And I'm Brendan Lyons. And we're here to bring you the fourth part of Kingdom Come as we read the final chapter and epilogue of this story. We are ready to close it out, folks, and it does not get more higher stakes than this. No, it does not. Going out with a bang on this one. No, <laughs> no spoiler intended. What? Spoilers? Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully people have either. Here's the thing. Either you've read it or you're not going to read it before we get all the way through this. And since part of this is a recap, spoilers ahead. Spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers. All spoilers. Ew, ew, spoilers. <laughs> We've warned you. All right, moving ahead. No, uh, no resentment, folks. <laughs> so where we last left off, we have Batman having revealed that he's been, uh, I don't know if undercover is the word, but he's given false allegiance to Lex Luthor and his Mankind Liberation Front mm. to try to uncover the true plot or the ace in the hole that Luthor has, which as it turns out, is Captain Marvel, who is a superhero who has powers that in many ways are actually comparable to Superman's, Mm. being superhumanly fast and strong, among other things. But probably the key element to bear in mind is that his powers come from magic Mm. rather than from scientific principles. So Captain Marvel having been... What's that? (laughs) The sun. Uh, Well, yes. (laughs) Science, a.k.a. the sun. The sun's just one big science machine, so that's fair. Boop, boop, be doop. I don't, well, that's not a, a, sound a machine makes. That's a, that's a Betty Boop sound. That, that shows how much science I have in me. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so Captain Marvel has been brainwashed by Luther and has now flown over to the Gulag where Superman and his allies have imprisoned the wayward superheroes of the world. And he's busted this thing quite literally wide open. He's breached the barriers that have held these prisoners in place and pretty much all out anarchy has ensued as a result. That's pretty much where we're picking up in this chapter, Brendan. What do you make of them apples? (laughs) What do I make of prison break anarchy? Well, (laughs) yeah, I guess there's not much to say about that. No, that's pretty much actually what I made of it. It's, (laughs) but you know what? Kind of feels like what was going to happen. Don't you think? I mean, you put a bunch of metahumans into uh, a uh, gulag and, uh, you know, you just hope for the best. Mm. Yeah. (sighs) So the Spectre and Norman McKay are witnessing all of this as they have witnessed everything else in the story so far. And Norman's distressed about this. Norman's distressed and the Spectre is suggesting that judgment is imminent but not to be rendered just yet. So while Captain Marvel and Superman are fighting and all their compatriots are locked in battle, we find that at the United Nations, we actually have a tense room of world leaders making a critical decision about how to answer this threat. And the answer being proposed is a nuclear strike. Which I gotta say, when is it not? You know, uh, 
how how often is the the UN or the you know United States military in popular culture? You know when they're not the main characters. Like when is it not? Well, we're gonna have to nuke them. Like come on. <laughs> when has that ever been our response to like aside from a while ago? But I, I don't know. Sorry for the side note. But have you ever noticed that like if you have like a superhero or like a something extraterrestrial or you know just something fantastic. There's always some military guy who's like, drop the bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, since you mentioned it, I mean, it's usually just the president or something. Right? Yeah. It seems odd to me that the UN would be deciding on a, a major <laughs> nuclear attack. Well. That, that doesn't... I mean, I don't, maybe there's some things about the UN I'm still learning, but that doesn't seem like well, in their mission statement or within their purview. But. Here's the thing. We are also living in a, a universe where, you know, the most powerful super beings in the world decided to go to the UN to announce that they were doing something instead of the United States Congress. So clearly there's a lot more parity as far as international power goes uh, in this world. And also the UN apparently has nukes. <laughs> I there, guess there, there's a clear separation of realities here uh, going on. It's just simply, thank you, Otto. It's just simply not <laughs> the UN of reality. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, Otto's show will be up next, folks, if you want to stay tuned. Sometimes he comes in early. But yeah, now maybe that's something we can explore in a future discussion. But uh, this is really quite a strange, strange UN. I have to wonder if perhaps that uh, that consolidation of power in the United Nations is a reaction to the consolidation of superpower in the Justice League. Mm. Is it an arms race mm. between man and Superman? Ooh. Stay tuned. We will I'll not bet. talk about that later, but maybe in the future. <laughs> right. And the way that the, I believe it's the Secretary General yes. puts it, he says, the only way to ensure that future generations remember this as humanity's final option is to ensure that there will be future generations after today. Mm. Let us strike while we still can. Godspeed. And he goes into his office and I don't know, it was kind of a small thing, but kind of interesting to me. There's in one of the panels, he's sitting, rubbing the uh, the bridge of his nose and looking clearly exhausted by this difficult decision. Mm. And in the background, there's a small framed picture of what I'm assuming is his family. And then a subsequent panel with a, a similar depiction of him, but from a different angle, has a mug that says world's best dad, which... Mm. I guess in some ways is kind of supposed to be maybe a juxtaposition or something that maybe you're supposed to call into question. But I think maybe too, it's also just supposed to show that while we can question the decision that he's made or that he's proposing, that ultimately he does, his motivations are coming from a place of a father. Mm. Again, I'm not saying this is necessarily the right or morally just move to make, but maybe it humanizes him just a little bit. Yeah, no, I have to agree. I think what you're seeing here is just a, really a, a human parallel with the superheroes. Superman previously chose not to act to stop his metaphorical children or you know and for this man to protect his children he feels like he has to destroy them now superman also not quite destroy but was attempting to really take them <sighs> take <laughs> oh my gosh i'm gonna put you in the basement uh... <laughs> all right uh, hold on right so we've seen that the non-superhuman populace has had to make some difficult decisions in light of the conflict that's going on. And from that scene, we return to the battle at the Gulag, where we find that Batman and the sort of proverbial cavalry have arrived from on high. And it looks like maybe the, the tide of battle might turn, but it doesn't seem to be getting finished that quickly. Wonder Woman actually kills one of the prisoners there, and that seems to incite a resurgence of fervor from the other prisoners during battle. Batman and Wonder Woman are having a <laughs> a difficult conversation in the midst of a heated battle, where Batman's pretty much calling her out on overcompensating for her lost position as a diplomat from Themyscira, which Wonder Woman does not take too kindly, and basically starts flying Batman in his metal flying bat suit uh, into the stratosphere as they hash it out. 
And Wonder Woman, A, doesn't feel like Batman's in any position to judge her. And B, seems to still be pressing on the justification that they have no other choice. That it's either they enforce peace by force or destruction is nigh. It's actually while they're up in the sky that Wonder Woman and Batman both notice that there are planes coming carrying the nuclear weapons we mentioned earlier, which presents yet another element to this threat. We have the superhuman battle going on at the gulag and now we have nuclear weapons coming in hot <laughs> superman is fighting captain marvel down below and he's trying to talk billy to coming to his senses and it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere and in fact billy finds sort of a loophole in his powers not so much a, a loophole but maybe a creative use of his powers that i question a little bit but hey it's comics folks i guess <laughs> <laughs> So Captain Marvel transforms between his mortal and more supernatural state by uttering the magic word Shazam, which... So Shazam is actually an acronym that describes Captain Marvel's ability set. So he's supposed to have the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. So... When he utters the magic word Shazam, he goes either from a child to an adult in the original comics. In this case, it doesn't really make a difference to his age or from his supernatural state back to a mortal state. When that happens, a bolt of lightning strikes him to cause the transformation. However, in this story, he finds a way to utter the magic word and move quickly enough away that somebody close to him, in this case, Superman, would be struck by the bolt of lightning instead. And as the lightning bolt is magically charged, rather than, I don't know, a conventional lightning bolt. Electrically charged? It actually... <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> no, it's... It, uh, it, it causes harm to Superman, and it's for those who are less familiar with Superman's weaknesses. Kryptonite is a traditional one, but especially in more contemporary depictions, Superman is also vulnerable to magic and supernatural attacks for reasons that are left somewhat a mystery but it seems that magic and him don't agree very well well if you bring in the science of it and the fact that he gets his his power from the yellow sun you know that you know magnifies and strikes and all that stuff it would seem that that the natural we got the, the natural features of earth are what give him strength and supernatural things would be outside of the earth so makes sense to me <laughs> yeah i do wonder right? sometimes if <laughs> that's an interesting thought i guess i almost wonder if at least in dc comics lore superman and captain marvel are positioned as almost like a metaphor for the opposing sides of science and theology or the natural and the supernatural which i'm sure i'm reading a little too much into it but it's mm -hmm. almost a an embodiment of this idea that science and the, the studies of the mystical or the supernatural or theology can't coexist that they're essentially antithetical to each other and don't agree which is a flawed theory in light of the fact that it's not like it works both ways that superman's scientifically explainable abilities well sort of <laughs> don't have the same impact on captain marvel as the other way around sure but i don't know just something that i think about from time to time <laughs> well i only thought of it the first time today so if i think of something <laughs> something more about it you guys will be the first to know so <laughs> Captain Marvel is just discovering this, I guess, because he very quickly makes liberal use of it. Not unlike a video gamer that <laughs> likes to spam a lot, mm. which oh, yeah. when I say spam, I, I mean somebody who makes repeated use of a very effective tactic. Oh, yeah. Half back toss right Madden 96 all day. They can't stop. There you me. go. Can't stop. Won't stop. So our pal Superman is having a rough go of it as he is bombarded again and again by a lightning bolt that is striking him and hitting him where it hurts, which is his vulnerability to magic, while Billy is not changed back to mortal form and thus maintains an invulnerable state. So not great at the moment for Superman. A bit of a pickle. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Batman and Wonder Woman kind of debate a little more about their differences, but it pretty quickly becomes apparent that 
hey, nuclear missiles are on the way. Maybe we should put aside our differences and recognize that this is not something either of us want. And so they take out two of the planes, but one of them still makes it through and is about to launch its payload. And Superman's becoming aware of this. So down below again, there's a a to and fro sort of moving from between those two theaters of battle from the sky and on the ground. Superman grabs in a moment between Captain Marvel's lightning strikes to put his hand around his mouth. And it's actually just in time as the lightning bolt strikes Billy, changes immortal. Superman's got his hand around his mouth. And because Billy can't utter the magic word, he's unable to go back to his invulnerable state. And so for the first time in this conflict, Billy Batson is actually afraid. He's terrified because when he's not in his magically strengthened state, he is just like any other man and could be easily crushed by Superman. And in fact, there's a, there's a few captions over sort of this quiet scene where there's a smoky battleground and Superman's holding Billy's mouth shut. And it says, for one frozen instant, the storm clears. Fingers that confuse coal into diamond crawl across human bone. And in the hush, ears that can hear a cell divide pick out with chilling ease the scream of human rage. A wave of x-rays confirms the bomb's potency. A telescopic glance calculates the seconds before impact. He must act now. The Spectre actually wants Norman McKay to pass judgment, which, again, I find problematic. (laughs) (laughs) He says, yours is the soul that guides me. And so he basically demands that Norman choose and choose carefully. Norman actually says, how can I? There is no evil here. There is tragedy and bedlam. And he just pauses before he moves forward. But it's, again, the specter, the fact that a spirit of God, an angel of God, would have a human dictate the judgment that's reserved for God is, that's a liberty taken for this story that does not (laughs) hold true in the Catholic view of how angels operate. Yeah, (laughs) A little bit different than our conception of them, yeah. And Norman's saying that there's no evil here, that there's only tragedy in Bedlam. I don't know that I would concur with that statement. I think there is tragedy. I think there is Bedlam. I think I think there could be evil happening, <laughs> depending on who you're looking at. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, you get down to it. I, I guess what you have to consider is whether, you know, if the judgment is on everyone there. Mm. I mean, his saying there's no evil there, it's, that's pretty debatable. On the other hand, his his wondering if this evil is... You know, the implication that whatever evil is going on is sufficient to destroy everything. It's got a little bit of a Sodom and Gomorrah feel. Um, mm. You know, is there somebody here worth saving? <laughs> that's an interesting comparison, actually. Which, yeah, well, I mean... Everyone there had a sin, but I, you know, I don't even, I would even say, you know, the Justice League who tried to control them may have theoretically tried to do right, but they still would have done something that is, would not be considered completely just, I, I, I would say. That said, I mean, yeah, there's, it seems almost like it's more, it would be more accurate to say that there is evil in everybody here, but I mean, I would think that he's correct in saying that, you know, this is a chaotic, insane like situation like i was to sit here and judge whether or not these people are evil enough to be destroyed in, in the midst of probably their worst and most out of control moment in the entire story so i think that's a yeah, good if point that's if that's when you're judging them then yeah i guess so <laughs> but that's that's not how we understand judgment to work that god waits until you you're at your worst and is like yep that's too bad mm. Boom. Mm. yeah that's an interesting point because it it does end up being complicated. And I think that's what makes the story good for me is that you can definitely see where that people's motivations are understandable, even if ultimately their actions are questionable. You can you could see how somebody could make the decisions that some of these characters are making and how it could end up going wrong and maybe only in hindsight realizing that there maybe there was a better way. I think, so as far as Billy Batson goes, or Captain Marvel, or Shazam, any of those names applying to the same character. Yes, the movie is Shazam, in case case anyone out there is wondering what Carol Danvers is doing in this DC comic. (laughs) I think that's 
<laughs> I think that's a good point of reference. Well played. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, that's right. So it's not Brie Larson, it's Zachary Levi. Yes, that's that's it exactly. <laughs> so Zachary Levi just movie crowd. <laughs> Before the what? Yeah, for for the movie only crowd. Oh right, was, right, right. Uh, <laughs> Zachary Levi, and I, I guess for the not even the movie crowd, it's Tom Hanks in Big, except superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean how he's depicted here? No, just that he's a child sometimes, then magic oh makes Oh my gosh, adult. yes, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like, well, I guess he kind of looks like Tommy. No, yes, I see what you're yeah. doing here. Although, sometimes Zachary Levi looks somewhat visually reminiscent of Tom Hanks, but not quite tall and brown-haired. All right, so, right. Shazam. <laughs> so, he's, I think the, the story actually, at this point, gives me has given me a lot to think about in terms of how how virtue works in the Christian life, how grace operates, how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. And to be honest, there's still there's still a lot that I don't know and there's still a lot that I'm looking into. But the reason I think about it when I read this part of the story is because Captain Marvel or Shazam's abilities are essentially supernaturally infused gifts. And in the context of the comics, it's explained and rooted in magic. So that's not the same as Christianity. However, I think that there could be a loose analogy that one can make and make some comparisons to the between the two of those. The fact that Billy Batson receives abilities and gifts that otherwise would not naturally be present in him. And so it makes me wonder when they depict him here, he's able to use the strength and speed and abilities that he has, even though he has had something of a fall from grace. He's been brainwashed and corrupted, and he's very much, if not misusing his powers, he's in a state of chaos. He's no longer in right relationship with how those gifts were meant to be used so does that fit with how the gifts of the spirit or virtue works in the christian life i think that's a little tricky i don't think i have really a clear answer for that (laughs) yeah and folks we talked about this beforehand and we still don't have a no (laughs) clear answer but it is i think an interesting way of looking at things in the in the bit of research I was, I was trying to do, there's some suggestion on the part of Aquinas that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are something that are given or taken and can't technically be misused. I think, and I would love for a theologian, theology professor, director of religious education to correct me on that, or at least clarify on this, but the idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have at least in you know in discussing in the summa they have the corresponding seven virtues and they are the amplification of those so that you can't use fear of the lord for evil sort of situation but you can use it's a pride versus humility right so and i may be linking the wrong things you can use humility incorrectly but the spiritual the gift of the holy spirit of fear of the Lord is an elevation of humility that you can't use incorrectly. Now, somebody out there, please be feel free to correct me on this because I, I think I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm a little bit off base, but my understanding of, of those gifts is that they are in fact above, above reproach. And before anybody thinks that I'm, John is actually the one who approached me with this thought. So why don't I turn that over to you and stop hogging the theology? <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, it is absolutely my fault for bringing a subject to the table that I don't have a conclusive answer to. But <laughs> that's half yeah, fun. and I was looking through different sources like the Catechism, as well as Frank Sheets' Theology and Sanity, which, by the way, I would recommend personally. It's it gives a lot to think on, but Frank Sheed I find uh, still does an excellent job of explaining some very weighty metaphysical ideas in a way that for someone like me makes it at least a little more understandable. And it's hmm, yeah, I'm trying to think. There's there's a lot going on with actual grace versus sanctifying grace and that sort of thing. So we may we may need to table. <laughs> 
<laughs> we made it to table this one because <laughs> it's flying. Uh, a lot of it's flying out of out of my head, but. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I think the concept of the gifts of the Holy Spirit versus virtues you know, is something that we can look at because, you know, I, I think that there is a certain, to a certain extent, a connection between the good that we all can do and the extra powers given to superheroes to do, to do good. We can all have, you know, we can all have a strong devotion to justice. But not all necessarily Batman who has lived his life for justice. And yeah, I kind of that one out of I don't even know where. But <laughs> I think yeah, I think there's a discussion to be had in the future about the general virtue available to all humans versus the gifts available to superheroes, how they correspond and how they can be compared and how much we can use our unsuperhuman abilities to do super great things. Well said, Brendan. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I think I'm trying to actually find the particular passage in In Kingdom Come in the midst of the scene we were describing earlier between Superman and Zachary Levi. I mean, Shazam. I mean, Captain Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I believe somewhere it says something to the effect of Captain Marvel, the wisdom of Solomon having been dulled in the in this moment, which I thought was kind of interesting, was kind of the idea that there's still there's something of. The supernatural gifts still present, but they're not at their full capacity, at their full operation. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's so lost is symptomatic of that, that his his cardinal virtues, you might say, are awry. Mm. He's only got six, though. Yeah, you know, I noticed that, too. I'm like, darn, this would have worked a lot better if he had seven. <laughs> Does the exclamation point count as a... Uh, let's let's say it. <laughs> as, a, as a virtue. <laughs> I've got, I want to find a way to say that it does because they would just bring peace in my life. That would be a, a poor reason to have peace in my heart, wouldn't it? But, uh, but at least it would be perfectly balanced like all things should be. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong universe, everybody. My apologies. Yeah, I'll let that one slide because Thanos is a great character. <laughs> <laughs> Did all right. He's got a shiny glove. What's not to like? So well, No, you're right. <laughs> Superman talks to billy and he says so listen to me billy listen harder than you ever have before look around us look at what we've come to there's a bomb falling either it kills us or we run rampant across the globe i could still stop the bomb bill that much i'm sure of what i don't know is whether i should be allowed to and that decision i'm not a man but you billy you're both More than anyone who ever existed, you know what it's like to live in both worlds. Only you can weigh their worth equally. Fight the brainwashing bill. You can let me go, or with a word, you can stop me. Do you understand the choice that can be made by you alone? And there's a side text that says his tears answer for him. Because at this point, Billy's crying as there's a breakthrough that's happening in his heart and his mind. Superman releases his hold over his mouth and says, then decide decide the world so billy looks up at this point and he's quiet for a moment as he looks at superman flying up and then he utters shazam lightning strikes and from the ground below billy flies up to follow a flying superman pulls superman out of flight and he himself flies up to the nuclear missile cry shazam and sets off the nuclear bomb he detonates it through the lightning bolt for a little bit we see mostly just smoke and Norman McKay finding the specter in the haze. And it's at the turn of that page that when we read this for the podcast, I'd kind of forgotten it had been a little bit since I'd read the story. But man, it's kind of a chilling picture. It's a it's a whole page. And what you see is maybe not... It wasn't what I expected when I had initially read it, which was, oh, Billy went up and he sacrificed himself by destroying the missile in mid-flight. But I guess... Kudos to the comics for showing just how devastating a nuclear explosion is because it's not all okay at this point. There's actually just a whole scorched landscape below where the battle was. And uh, pretty much most of the combatants have died. And we see as much, which clearly upsets Superman. So I don't know what you thought when you got to this scene, Brendan, but I was like, oh, wow, this is chilling. This was... uh, when we said at the beginning of tackling this story that it's sobering, this is the kind of stuff that really kind of quiets the reader, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, it was, uh, 
Yeah, again, I'm not sure if I can think of a better word than sobering, but it's, uh, I, I don't know, it has a sort of, I, I don't know, it has a sort of similar feel for me, or it did anyway, as the end of end of Watchmen, where mm. you're kind of like, oh, okay, it's been resolved, but I don't feel good. Right. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> it's like, yeah, it's been resolved, but not in the least bit satisfyingly you know i mean <laughs> i'm not happy about this i don't know why anybody would be so which you know it's there's your there's your realism your comic realism that the uh i guess the 80s and 90s were probably were a little bit known for right? wouldn't you say that's yeah the maybe just the 80s and 90s were showing an increase in what you might call edgy superheroes and superhero stories they were darker stories and there were more anti-heroes or heroes who were less I, I was about to say polished but maybe that's like a uncharitable way to put it whereas superheroes in decades prior were really concerned about living a virtuous life and doing the good for the good's sake the 80s and 90s saw superheroes that were almost doing good if not by accident, but maybe then maybe by flawed or broken moral reasons, they almost were doing good despite themselves. Yeah, and and you know I, I'm I'm gonna say I it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I, I like a little bit of a dark superhero, but like Batman is generally dark enough for for mm. me. You know the extent of which you know it's usually a a struggle over how far you go in justice and when mm. does it stop being justice and, and start being revenge. And but I, I think what I appreciate about the end of kingdom come, not in a, the different thing I appreciate about the end of kingdom come as compared to the end of Watchmen is it wasn't like a miserable, okay, a terrible person made peace of the world in a terrible way, but nobody's going to really know mm. like, nah, I mean, that's, I was into that when I was like 16 through 22, you know, dark brooding phase. And mm -hmm. what I appreciate about Kingdom Come, though, is the reminder that people die in wars you win. Mm. You know, we, we, have, we have a tendency, especially in film, and especially not necessarily, not like in the, not so much during this time, but earlier film. That, in my mind, was the problem with older war movies. Mm. It was not so much that it wasn't realistic about how gritty life was. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was grittier than it was, but it's important to remember that for the people who went to war, or the people who go to war, they lose people even when they are victorious. So a victory in, in a war doesn't mean you didn't lose anybody. And I appreciate that acknowledgement and i don't know if it was necessarily on purpose for in kingdom come but i like i like is not the right word i appreciate that addition to the narrative of great struggle that you you lose people and they stay lost mm. in war whether you win or lose and it's victory can be a miserable outcome mm. you know not necessarily more more miserable than defeat but miserable nonetheless mm. that that's a sort of a deep thing I got from the end of this, uh, this scene here, but yeah, I think that's an important part of it. The narrative and realistic narratives. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And I think as we'll see, because there's a little bit more to the story, this is, this is kind of a big pivotal moment at the end, but fortunately there's a little more that does set the story apart from something like Watchmen, where it's not mm. a complete tragedy. Yes. Because at, at this point, Superman flies to the UN in a rage, and he starts tearing into the building. He's lifting the ceiling from the building, and the Spectre's like, well, that's all she wrote. <laughs> that's not exactly what he says. But Norm <laughs> Norma McKay is, is railing, actually, against the Spectre, and saying that if he truly wants justice, if he truly wants the good, then he can't possibly stand aside while Superman, with all his power, causes this kind of destruction. And at one point, Norman says, my God, he's bringing the roof down. He'll kill them all. Somebody's got to do something. And the Spectre says, after 10 years, he has finally let free a wrath that would cower Satan himself. How can any man possibly calm the fury he feels towards his persecutors? 
And Norman McCabe says that he thinks he can reach Superman. And so he urges the Spectre to allow him to emerge from whatever dimensional space they're privy to where they've been safely observing. And Norman McKay emerges below a floating Superman who's holding a roof, eyes glowing with uh, heat vision, ready to go. And Norman says, Clark, don't. You blame yourself for Captain Marvel, for Magog in Kansas, for 10 years that ended today. Yes, you're angry. But in that anger, you're forgetting once more what humans feel, what they fear. They won't forgive you for this, Clark. Forgive yourself. And at this point, Superman relents and releases his anger. And he and Norman talk a little bit. Superman asks, who are, why are you here? Norman says, to bear witness. Listen to me, Clark. Of all the things you can do, all your powers, the greatest has always been your instinctive knowledge of right and wrong. It was a gift of your own humanity. You never had to question your choices. In any situation, any crisis, you knew what to do. But the minute you made the super more important than the man, the day you decided to turn your back on mankind, that completely cost you your instinct. That took your judgment away. Take it back. If you want redemption, Clark, it lies in the very next decision you make. Make it as a man, and make it right. And it's at this point that actually Superman discovers that there is a very small portion of superheroes that were engaged at the Gulag battle, both his allies, Batman's allies, and even some of the prisoners who ended up surviving the blast due to some of the superheroes, such as Green Lantern, who were able to create a force field to protect them. So Superman, I think, is a little relieved from that. Batman's a little less cheery about it because he's thinking, well, okay, we pretty much have the same problem just with a smaller group of us. (laughs) (laughs) And Superman pretty much brings it to the UN in some ways where he says that we tried, well, not tried to be gods. I think he says that we saw ourselves as gods. The UN admitted that they kind of saw the Justice League and superheroes as gods and treated them as such. And they come to an understanding that there needs to be humility on the side of those who are superhuman and that there is a, I don't know if obligation is the word, but I guess that those who aren't superhuman, despite their lack of power in comparison to someone like Superman, that they should still hold superhumans accountable or that they should have the gift of fortitude, you might say, and to be able to, I don't know, push back on that. So maybe I'm, I'm taking it, maybe that's not the direction they were going for. But there seems to be sort of a mutual understanding that everybody's got to check their perspective. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think there's, it, you know, it smacks of, for, you know, okay, sorry. <laughs> At first, to me, it smacked a little bit of humanism. Mm. But I think it actually pulled back from it a little bit. And in my very Catholic interpretation, admitted that there, it, there are forces that can do more than humans can do. But that what humans can do is very important to the world mm-hmm. so you know you have you have god okay, the catholic sense you would you have super okay so you'd have like above the humans you'd have super angels god if you're talking about christianity or superhumans and metahumans and whatnot in the comics but if they're not basing their actions at least in some to some extent on their relationship with humanity then they're not being all of what they really are mm-hmm. So, if that makes sense, he's talking about the focusing on the super and losing the human. In Superman's case, yeah, he's an alien. Mm. But if you think of it more of a superpowered oriel being mm. or a superpowered mortal, mm. less so than a superhuman, then you have the have the opportunity to look at it, people as you know, you know, this is some this is a person who has extreme power. But if you let the power overtake the person, then the power drifts towards evil which i am kind of feels like where we got where all the trouble started Mm. people were reveling in their powers and forgetting the humanity part of their superhuman nature so Mm. i think that there's a little something in there that norman mccray is reminding the superheroes of in his petty little human form Mm -hmm. yeah i did kind of i guess i'm still not sure how to take norman mckay that phrase 
about the minute you made the super more important than the man that I think you your points are good. I like those. I did kind of wonder Superman's presented in a couple instances in here as a Christ figure, not all the time. And I think we established in the first episode that Superman over the course of this story doesn't give the best representation of Christ. But yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I guess oddly enough, I guess with that, that passage from Norman McKay about the super and the man, I kind of couldn't help but think about Christ in terms of his divinity and his humanity. Mm-hmm. And the idea, I don't know, There's there's been heresies that surround either the overemphasis of the divine or of the human and not recognizing the profundity of how, they, how they're both are present in Christ. So in this case, part of me wonders, it's like, well, I don't know, maybe this is what you were getting at, but sort of from a humanistic side, it's like, ah, well, unless it's the human side that you should value and not the, the elevated, well, I don't know if elevated, maybe valuing the... the the human over the divine or the ways in which hmm. anyway does that does any of that uh mean anything to you <laughs> uh, tune in next episode yeah. when we discuss the the hypostatic union of super and man ah, <laughs> it'll be odd. no I, 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 I yeah I, well i think that it is in a way in the way that the um Full, fully God and fully man natures of, of Christ the nature of Christ is key to his being and key to his I'm being very careful because you, mm. you get one word wrong and you yep. espouse heresy <laughs> but um, that, that hypostatic union of God and man is key to the reality of Christ and the experience of Christ and how the experience of Christ is in relationship with the experience of non-divine beings and Superman I think in a similar way especially in the way they have his focus on justice you know his his connection to his parents his love of humanity it combines that sort of um you know his the fact that he's super you know he's super powered but he is in the in the sense of trying to describe an organism he is a person (laughs) so like he's not a human person he's a kryptonian person but in the i guess organic philosophical philo phil organic esophagical (laughs) esophageal he's he's yeah yeah exactly esophageal sense he's a person so he is a person but he is a super person it's not quite it's not the same so no nobody accused me of heresy here because (laughs) i'm pretty sure there's there's definitely a specific heresy that i that superman is that jesus is not (laughs) because you know jesus would be divine on all planets Mm. (laughs) whereas superman's uh superness is more or less uh just um just on yellow sun planets so but yeah right. uh, that that not the, the the idea that it's not a dualism you know where jesus isn't he's, he's he's divine but he's also human in a way mm. no he's not divine in a way and human in a way he's divine in all ways and human in all ways so see you know and superman is not super in some ways and human in others he is super human he's completely human and he's also completely a superhero now again i'm sure there's a heresy in there (laughs) (laughs) but but you know that it's i i think the the kind of idea that mccray is communicating and sometimes is communicated in other comics is it's a dichotomy that Mm. is not a dichotomy it's merely a person who is <laughs> i don't know it's <laughs> yeah. a dual being i don't even know how to say it but like it's not a dichotomy and if you try to separate the two you don't get the full person you know what i mean right Does that makes sense yeah no and i i think that even <laughs> i got there i think yeah and that ties in nicely to kind of where we get to by the end of the story i well not to go too too much more into this but i guess just there are there are a couple parts of the story that do seem to place a particular value on being human and what it means to be human. And I guess the two particular examples are the ones, A, what we just discussed about Superman, but also the Spectre and Norman McKay and the fact that the Spectre seems impotent to use his powers in an effective way that he lacks the direction that only the human mind and heart can provide which is a fallacy Mm. so 
Not that the story is like oh overly in that direction, but there are a couple instances where it's like, well, yeah, you know, there's beautiful things about what it is to be human and the way that God made us to be good, but let's not mistake that as the the greatest thing versus mm. God who is the greatest thing and how through him and through grace through that which is divine humanity is elevated so at this point we kind of get into something not quite the the epilogue but kind of a wrap-up where superman hangs captain marvel's cape as one of the flags in in front of the un which is interesting that there's apparently a pole that didn't have a flag in the first place or whose country's flag did he tear off to replace it with zachary levi's cape Switzerland. oh no no superman bunch of money grubbers no superman don't don't take switzerland gosh you're gonna switzerland great well if if we were gonna have listeners in switzerland we've lost them now yeah i don't speak english there gosh you're awful well what well they probably do but it's not no their three their their four languages are german french italian and romanish english is not a big language over there are those really the languages they speak yeah Man, you're a man of the yeah. world. Well, because well, I took German. Yeah, because various different people have learned, you know, and also the the Alps kind of divides the country into some sort of sections. Hmm. But, you know, northern, there's more Germans. East, uh, western, there's more French. And southern, there's more Italians. And then the Romanish kind of migrated through. Actually, I, I'm going to go ahead and I, I'm going to throw out a caveat here. I don't know that Romanish is the appropriate term for that group of people i learned this 15 years ago Mm. so if they don't like to go by romanish i apologize um i i I don't know but it's that sort of um they were like a migrant sort of group from uh i believe the baltics Hmm. but yeah so i'm impressed english is not one of their one of their chief languages Mm. well it's a messy language but i like it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we see Batman actually is trading his traditional black and gray for for white as he uses the mansion as a facility to convalesce where people who are injured as a result of the battle can receive treatment and hospitalization and care. And we even see Lex Luthor pressed into service and we learn later that Bruce more or less uh, twists some arms among the members of the Mankind Liberation Front into helping out at this hospital. <laughs> Uh, Wonder Woman <laughs> is restored to the good graces of those at Themyscira. And as Superman builds a memorial for those who are lost, Wonder Woman flies down and gives him a small box. And what do we find but Clark Kent's spectacles or glasses inside? And she says that it's a gift, a little something to help you see more clearly. And Superman puts them on and he smiles and Wonder Woman gives him a quick kiss before she flies off. And Superman uses an enormous, ridiculously huge plow to till the land because apparently lifting a tractor with one hand isn't impressive enough. He's got a, I don't even know where you could buy something that big. Like (laughs) apparently Superman has time to, uh, make macrame and forge giant plows while the rest of us just do our best to get through our daily toil. I don't know if perhaps Superman made that plow himself in some way, but even to make the steel or iron Mm. or whatever it is needed for that much, could it really have taken less time for him to fly really fast with a regular plow back and forth? Yeah. But come on. Also, 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 <laughs> when you plow a field, you're you're making rows what? <laughs> for plants to grow next to each other. Why would you need a bigger plow? That. Well, I don't know. What is it? I, remind me. Is it is it like a whole bunch of little plows all on a line, like a combine thing, or not? Not really. Kind of looks like almost a giant iron, like for ironing clothes, to me. Yeah. So that that's um, an excellent point. That might, that might not make sense. Um, oh yeah, there it is. No, that doesn't make any sense. You're supposed to plow rows, and then you plant things in the tilled earth. Why would you just? He's just. <laughs> now, 
<laughs> He's just destroying huge swaths of land. Yeah, apparently his decision making has not improved I, much. Any any farmers listening, please correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm I'm very much open to, or anyone with agricultural experience, um, please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, that seems not to be the point of plowing. <laughs> well. You know, I was about to say, like, oh, well, the land's irradiated, so he's just going to make giant radishes, and he needs to make big, big tracts of plowed area. But uh, we'll see in the epilogue that apparently it's no longer irradiated. So, hmm, where's your excuse now, Superman? Also, there's nothing like solving the problem of irradiated land by making irradiated food fall out. Yeah, again, <laughs> the decision-making skills of the characters here are... You know, not always flawless. But anyway, back to the very poignant <laughs> scene. Where... <laughs> Superman right, wears his spectacles. So Superman puts on the glasses. And from what I understand, I think for Mark Wade, this was one of the scenes that was really important to him because mm. it, it makes sense in light of the fact that at the beginning, we've seen a Superman who's renounced his human identity. And I think by the end here, we're seeing... Maybe kind of to what you were talking about, Brendan, that he's embracing that he's whole when he's both embracing the quote unquote human side as well as the, the super side or his alien heritage. So you heard it. You heard it here. Mark Wade has come out in favor of modalism. I'm going to smile and nod and pretend I remember what modalism is. <laughs> Just means sometimes God's one person, sometimes he's the other person, sometimes he's the third person. Ooh. Rather mm. than all of them all at once. It's a yeah, heresy. Don't that sounds like a problem. And that's why it's because it's a heresy. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. But yeah, no, that's it, it, it is an important, an important moment seeming to return uh, Superman back to his recognition of being both man and human uh, sorry super and man and the responsibilities of both so i think that's about it before the epilogue although i will say so there's a little bit of conversation between norman mckay and the specter and we actually see the specter show himself in uh, what appears to be the police officer that he had once bonded himself to which i'm trying to make a little bit of sense of and the next scene is norman mckay at his oh gosh here we are again it's not a parish is it <laughs> <laughs> it's his yes, congregation thank you norman mckay is with his congregation and he says and so the well this is kind of the the wrap-up text and it says and so the crisis passes there is no grand celebration there is too much pain to be forgotten too much rebuilding to master but there is faith and so though my visions no longer plague me i preach the lessons they have taught me that a dream is not always a prophecy that the future like so much else is open to interpretation and that hope is brightest when it dawns from fear. And Norman McKay says, grace be with you all. Amen. Which, I mean, I guess it's fine in most respects, although I was a little quizzical at the future being open to interpretation. I mean, it does, it shows a caption of him with the Bible open to the book of Revelation. And so it makes some sense. Like on the one hand, I'm thinking to myself, well, God knows the future and there is an objective truth and God knowing the truth of what's to come, there's actually not really room <laughs> for interpretation of the future. But the book of Revelation itself is a, a very layered text and I've been studying it more lately and I'll need to study it quite a bit more. I mean, I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life, I'm sure, studying scripture as a whole. But the book of Revelation has a lot of what's of the past, the present, and the future. There's elements of the literal as well as the symbolic, although it's a heavily symbolic book that draws upon a lot of traditional imagery from what Christians would call the Old Testament through the, the traditions of what John would recognize. John the Apostle, I guess, is that what scholars typically, who they think wrote the book of Revelation? I'm trying to think. Yeah. Okay. All right. But yeah, the Apostle John is the one who's, who's uh, supposed to have written it. John the Evangelist. Mm. John, John the at least slightly faster than Peter. Um, <laughs> you know. At least he has the kindness to, I believe, I should actually like fact check this, but he doesn't <laughs> refer to himself by name. I don't believe. Well, it's the beloved disciple. You're right, right, right. Yeah. So 
you know, he's, but, he's like, well, you know, it wasn't Peter. We I won't say who. Talking about. <laughs> we, somebody was faster than Peter. I won't say who, but. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. So I, mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about himself and, and we know it. oh boy so there's text in throughout kingdom come that references scripture and in particular the book of revelation there's a lot of imagery particularly at the end that suggests world ending turmoil and battle and cataclysm coming to pass generally what popular culture perceives the end times to be which is just utter destruction and there is something to that in revelation but i think i found it useful in a, a bible study i've been in that actually ascension press produces that jeff cavins helped produce he does he presents the book of revelation and ways to look at the imagery therein mm. and one of the things that comes up is that although there's there's a lot of darkness it's a darkness that's ultimately overcome in a wedding of all things, a wedding between Christ and his church and that his is the victory in the end. And I think that to some extent kingdom come is actually a story that kind of, kind of uses a bit of that, that although there's a lot of destruction and those who would pursue the good are challenged and may fall from the path that there remains, even if it's small, a group of people who are still, who overcome through, well, if we're talking about scripture, overcome through Christ and sort of see the other side of things. And in fact, that actually comes up a little bit in the epilogue, which I guess, shall I just give sort of a quick summary of that? Yeah, yeah, I would just give a quick... Give a quick sure. Point. So Superman and Wonder Woman arrive at a, a restaurant. It's kind of got a bit of a diner-esque kind of feel going on, uh, but it's all... It would be it outside of the comic in the real world, like a comic book themed restaurant. It's a, it's a theme restaurant. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's Hard Rock Cafe, except for the superheroes instead of... Yeah, that's a good Or Jackrabbit Slims from uh, Pulp Fiction. I still have to see that movie. (laughs) What? You gotta cut that. Oh. Here's the thing, you don't even have to... You don't even have to actually like Quentin Tarantino to have been at least somewhat obligated to watch Pulp Fiction. (laughs) Yes, I am a... I mean, I'm... I don't like to judge people on what they have seen or haven't seen, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a plebeian. I am a, uh, a pop culture heathen. It would seem it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's a pretty, pretty cool movie. And it was fairly innovative, at least at its time. So, all right, I'll look at it. <laughs> I mean, it's so, one of those movies that, okay. Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> Sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. Whatever. No, 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 no. Wait, stick to comics. Okay. Course. In the context, it's actually kind of funnier in the context of a world that does have superheroes because Superman, who, well, so he and Wonder Woman are going in incognito, let's say. They're not in their full superhero regalia. So Superman's kind of, yeah, glasses are on. Superman's not feeling super comfortable about what kind of comes across as a parody of himself and and other superheroes. Wonder Woman's okay with it because she comes from a culture that is more or less drawn from like Greek mythology. And so the idea of mortals sort of paying tribute to their gods is fairly normal for her. But they grab a seat and they're waiting on Batman who shows up. And although there's some hints between Clark and Diana or Superman and Wonder Woman that they have something to tell him, some news, and they're trying to keep it a secret, Batman pretty... Pretty openly reveals that he he already knows what they came to tell him, which is that they are pregnant and that Superman and Wonder Woman are going to have a baby. Batman, being the master detective, has already sussed this out. But what he doesn't expect is when Diana asks him to be the godparent, which also surprises Superman because apparently they didn't talk about this beforehand. But Superman's in support of this and Batman's surprised because they have different philosophies, whereas Superman and Wonder Woman rely on trust. Batman uses essentially fear tactics to uh, enact justice but superman tells him that he's always trusted him despite their differences and that having somebody who is familiar with the human condition and i guess the value of hard work would be of benefit to a child who will probably grow up having extraordinary gifts based on their parentage 
Age. So mm. this was kind of a short epilogue that was released after the original four issues when they uh, had a collected edition. I'm not sure if it was the first collected edition, but apparently there was the opportunity to add just that little bit more of extra story material. So that's kind of how the whole thing caps off. The end. The end. So... Yeah, sorry, I didn't have more thoughts in the way of a discussion of grace and virtue and and those things. I did try to look into it, and I was hoping that I'd have a, a better grasp of it for this. But as it turns out, it's pretty pretty dense stuff, and I am a simple man in many ways. And so hopefully in time, God will bless me with a deepening understanding of those things, and maybe we'll revisit them again sometime in a future episode. But uh, any final thoughts on this story, Brian? This is our first completed story story on superhumanity type yeah you know um yeah it was it was good it was different than from what i've read before and i think that i think we're just scratching the surface of a couple of these themes Mm. But I think that this story brought in a lot of overarching themes in uh, in comics, particularly in the, you know in superhero stories, as far as authority and what constitutes justice and who gets to decide what it is, and then you know what is it to be super and human. I think those are actually I don't know, I, and those are <laughs> three pretty big issues when it comes to uh, uh, superhero stories. So I uh, look forward to getting into the next story, the next story and really seeing how we can explore those themes and others even more. Excellent. Yeah, this is a, a perennial favorite of mine that I return to every so often. The art is beautiful. The story gives a lot to consider. And I think ultimately by the end of it, as we've said, there's a lot of tragedy and there's a lot of brokenness, but good ultimately is not extinguished that in some way it prevails and yeah i'm glad we got to tackle this it has religious allegory and christian allegory to a certain extent and that makes it interesting in terms of how close is it hue to that or not a couple of quick notes actually artistically one i made an erroneous claim in the first episode that norman mckay was modeled after mark wade's father i've since reviewed my facts and it's actually he's modeled after alex ross's father who so alex Ross being the artist of the book. I would have to check. I'm not sure if Mark Wade's father was also a pastor. For some reason, I thought that, but I would need to confirm that. But so that's a correction on the visual art side. And then also, this is a little less hard and fast, but I compared the visual style to Norman Rockwell a little bit. And I think there's something to that. I'd also encourage folks to look at Caravaggio's work along with this book. But Kingdom Come kind of reminded me of Caravaggio in terms of the lighting in some ways and the way that's handled. So just a little couple random artistic comments there. But yeah, I was very pleased to take the opportunity to look at this book with you, Brendan. And hopefully we'll find plenty more good stories. I'm excited to jump into some of the best that comic books and graphic novels have to offer. So with that, well, hey, you know, um, if, if I could, mm-hmm. I just want to throw out listeners, if you wouldn't mind keeping my father in your prayers, mm. he was recently diagnosed with uh, B-cell lymphoma and will be getting uh, some cancer treatments. So if you can keep him in your prayers, uh, that would be most appreciated. Mm. So I, just, I wanted to add that. John, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add or, or if we want to get to the reveal of the next theme. I think that's... Thank you for including that, Brendan. I, I definitely want us to uh, encourage our listeners to to trust in the power of prayer. And if they're willing to to provide that help, so I'll certainly be praying for, for your father, for your dad. And I hope that our listeners will as well. I was very... I was very saddened to get that news since I've had experience with that myself yeah. in my own life. And I know that's that's a really tough thing to tackle in and of itself. And I think it can test one's faith but it can also be an opportunity to lean into that relationship with our Lord. Yeah, I think that's you know, an important thing to remember. And um, yeah, my, my father's doing pretty well. It's, it's a treatable thing. And um, yeah, and I, he, I know that he appreciates the prayers. So Absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know, for good measure, you can pray for all of us as well. <laughs> sure, sure. All right. Well, thank you 
all of you for joining us for our first story, Kingdom Come, as part of our podcast, Superhumani Vitae. We're very excited to continue diving into more of these kinds of stories. And Brendan, do you want the honors of announcing our one-off episode that we'll be doing next? You know what? You're too kind. Yes, absolutely. I am very happy to announce that um, we're going to do a special episode mm -hmm. where we will be discussing the the Marvel Disney Plus series, Loki. Yes. Uh, that's all the rage right now. I just got to see the sixth and final episode of the season today, John has not seen it yet so i'm luring that over him la 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 i can't now by the time you hear this we are hoping that everyone has seen it <laughs> so when the episode comes out hopefully you will have seen it because it will be a couple weeks old so make sure you watch that and tune in because it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about i think absolutely yeah major spoiler alert we're planning on covering uh pretty much everything uh yeah the it's gonna be a rapid fire issues <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. So, Loki. Do you want to let them, let them know about the next actual comic book we will be talking about? Sure, absolutely. So, next comic book that we will be covering after we do our Loki episode will be House of X, Powers of X. We want to just give you a little bit of notice in case you want to order the book, or if you're going to get your hands on a library copy, that it gives you a little bit of time to get the reading content if you're interested in following along. So House of X, Powers of X is an X-Men book, which is written by John Hickman. And it's a sprawling story and it'll have loads to talk about, but it's a major paradigm shift in the X-Men lore. And uh, so I'm looking forward to diving into that and I hope you are as well. So those are the next stories that we'll be tackling. If you want to continue following the podcast and you don't want to have to track it down manually, please subscribe. We encourage you to do so so that the episodes will fall neatly and gently like a falling feather into your <laughs> into your podcast application <laughs> also if you be so kind as to leave a review on whatever podcast application that you are using it will greatly help us if it's <laughs> very good we want to hear all of the good things that we're doing if there are areas that you want to see change then we welcome that as well because we want this to be a blessing to all of you who are listening and so we welcome whatever feedback that you have so you can subscribe leave a review and also if you want to email us you can email us at letters at shvpodcast.com Please do, because, you know, we are, to a certain extent, John to a much greater extent, but students of theology much more so than we are teachers or experts or, in any way, reliable sources of theological expertise. So anything you have to offer that can help, you know, any thoughts you have on something we've said or anything that we talked about that you think that, you know, you might be able to enlighten us or help us expand on, you know, that's absolutely great because really we are, we have some background. John has, has a degree in theology. I work for uh, an ethics organization, but there's always more to learn. So please we will not be offended if you come to us with either disagreements or an expansion of something that we talked about. So please, we encourage you very much to do that. Absolutely. And you know what? We'll give you a shout out on the show if you give us something good. <laughs> Uh, Brendan making promises. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, we want to have this to be, we want this to be a community where we can learn from one another. And so while we're hoping that this will be a blessing and a source of learning for you and a source of insight, we absolutely do welcome any ways that you can enlighten us or give us Christian correction in areas where we are in error. <laughs> uh, so yes, very much appreciated. We have a website in the works. It's fairly simple right now, but in case any of your friends or family want easy access to the episodes by a way that's not, say, Apple Podcasts or one of the other podcast directories, then you can access it through there. And that you can find at shvpodcast.com. Brendan, where can they find you? Well, I am on Facebook as Brendan J. Lyons, listed as author, Brendan J. Lyons. And I am on Twitter as The Lionbrary. That's Lion with a Y, like my last name. So all criticisms can be sent to my social media. <laughs> and I will just kind of suck it up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, again, thank you for joining us for this episode, Wrapping Up Kingdom Come. We welcome you 
as we continue to jump into other stories. So until next time, let's all grow in virtue and holiness, everyone. Let's all become saints. Amen. Hello. Welcome to Auto Unfiltered. <laughs> and raw. <laughs> meow, meow. Unfiltered Otto the Cat. <laughs>